When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody welcome back to another episode of mid-american bandwagon podcast episode 73 coming to you this week we are into december coming off an unbelievable final week of the regular season rivalry week pair that with an unbelievable couple days on the coaching carousel there's a lot to talk about here zach followed or joined as always by my partner in crime steve hellwick steve it's been a heck of a what 72 96 hours for college football fans Crazy weekend, crazy couple days in terms of coaching moves, stuff like that. How are you doing, man? I'm doing excellent. I'm really looking forward to championship weekend. I feel like this is one of the most compelling ones that we've had in a while. And it's crazy that we might get a playoff without three of Clemson, Oklahoma, and Georgia. I mean, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State, and Alabama, who's usually the other one of those big four teams, might be on its way out too. So this could be quite a special year for college football and a very different year for the CFP era. It definitely could be before we get into the Mac stuff. I do. I want to get your opinion here. Hear your thoughts on this. Let's say Bama beats Georgia this weekend. Everything else is chalk. Does Bama as a two loss SEC champion get in? You think? Right. Bama has one loss right now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm thinking about. Let me, okay. So take the two loss out of it. If Bama beats Georgia this weekend, does Bama get in, you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. They actually, I think the rankings would go Michigan, Bama, Georgia, Cincinnati in that case. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting weekend. It's going to be a really interesting weekend of, of, uh, of football, obviously championship weekend, conference championship weekend, always a fun weekend. I don't know what I was thinking saying Bama had two. I I don't know what I'm Let's, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll move on from that. Let's talk about, we got, let's recap this last week in the Mac here, uh, Steve. Interesting week. Obviously the, the headline game was Kent Miami uh, battle for the East division crown, which we can talk about that a little bit more in depth here in a couple minutes. Uh, but let's, let's do our standard kind of review here. Steve, what do you think? Uh, performance of the week in the Mac here, a lot to pick from what, what stood out to you this week? I'm actually going to give it Okay. This, this might sound weird because I know that Miami had 405 passing yards and four touchdowns. I'm going to give it to Montre Miller and Elvis Hines, Kent State's cornerbacks. They made the two biggest plays of the season for Kent State. In regulation, Miami, right before Graham Nicholson hits that tying field goal, Elvis Hines gets a PBU, gets a nice pass breakup in the end zone when Miami could have had the winning touchdown to Jack Sorensen. And then in overtime... Elvis Hine, uh, in overtime, it was Montre Miller who breaks up and jumps the route that's intended for Jack Sorensen, which sends Kent State to the MAC championship game. Those are two crucial plays for a team that had one of the worst pass defenses all year. I think they're ranked fourth last in the FBS. For your cornerbacks to step up in a situation like that against one of the MAC's top receivers in Jack Sorensen, one of the nation's top statistical receivers in Jack Sorensen, I was so impressed. 
with what Elvis Hines and Montre Miller did with the game on the line. Also, the team had two interceptions in that game too, and one of those belonged to Montre Miller. So shout out to him for just a heck of a performance with the season on the line. And Kent State's corners, they they won that game on defense. As As offensive of a team it was, it was the corners that won it for them. It's a great, it's a great choice. Great individual efforts there. And yeah, I got to be honest with you, Steve, watching that game when Miami got the ball, I think they were inside their own 20. I want to say that they were on like 15, 16 yard line with about four and a half minutes left. I was like, I might as well just turn this game over right off right now. Cause Miami's going to go down and score a touchdown. You know, I didn't think Ken had a chance to stop them there, but as you mentioned, they, uh, they have the bend, but bro- don't break philosophy. Uh, huge play in the end zone there. And then obviously you mentioned Montre Meller's play in, uh, in overtime to, uh, to secure the victory, a huge victory for the Golden Flash. So, yeah, definitely a, a nice, a, a good pick there, Steve. A great uh, performance from the, the Kent State secondary there in that, in, you know, the, the, the ending of that game. For me, though, um, you know, a team that we've talked a lot about lately and, and not in the best light. We've, you know, we've been hard on Western Michigan here lately. How about Sky Moore? from Western Michigan last uh, Tuesday night, taking on Northern Illinois, 12 receptions, 206 yards, four touchdowns. The Broncos get a big win, 42-21 over Northern Illinois. Now the Huskies were resting some people, Rocky Lombardi and others did not play. So obviously you're not playing the Huskies at full strength, but still, Steve, I still feel like this was a big win for the Broncos mentally, just after the way that this last, you know, month of the season has gone, you know, going all the way back to that, Ball State game. You know, they were on a two and four skid uh, going all the way back. They had blown the game the week before against Eastern Michigan, really kind of let it slip out of their hands in the fourth quarter. And uh, they were sure that that would not happen this week. I mean, you're up 28 7 at halftime, 35 7 going into the fourth quarter. And Caleb Ellaby and Sky Moore were a big part of that. Again, Sky Moore, 12 catches, 206 yards, four touchdowns. Ellaby, 21 of 26, 338 yards, five touchdowns. And Steve, I'll say it again. I know Northern Illinois was resting a lot of their starters last week, but that was still the best the Broncos have looked in over a month, I felt like. Yeah, Western Michigan definitely had a stranglehold on that game. The offense was – they were they were cooking, and it was a lot of Sky Moore. He was beating them on the slants, the deep balls, pretty much every single play. And I, I've said before, this is what Western Michigan's offense does when it's at its full potential. You'll see games where Caleb Ellaby has efficiency numbers like 21 of 26 – where he can throw for five touchdowns, where Sean Tyler has the running game going. And then you see the talented receivers they have in Sky Moore, Corey Crooms, and Jalen Hall. And they all did their job against Northern Illinois. And I know, I know your defense just inherently gets worse when your starting quarterback's not playing because possessions are shorter and the defense stays on the field longer and it's it increases a fatigue factor. But still, Western Michigan put up 42 points on that team. And the NIU had bigger problems that game than just missing Rocky Lombardi. So credit to Western Michigan for showing up. And I just, I just tweeted the stat from the hustle belt account, Western Michigan, despite not going to the Mac championship game since 2016, since 2018, they are five and one against Mac championship participants, which shows wow. that they can compete and beat the conferences best every year. In 2018, they beat NIU, the eventual Mac champ in 2019, they swept Miami and central Michigan last year, they lost a ball state on the most chaotic finish I've ever seen. So that was their one loss in that time span. And this year they beat Kent state by 33 and they beat Northern Illinois by 21. So where's Western Michigan and Detroit? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It's unbelievable. It's like, 
it's like, as you said, it's, it's, it's like intoxicating. You see them at their best and it's like, man, this team could be anybody, but man, the consistency is just not there. And yeah, we'll see what they do this off season. I think that win uh, last week for, for the Broncos probably took some heat off of Tim Lester. We'll see what happens here. They go in seven and five. We'll see what their, uh, what matchup they get uh, as we head into bowl season, see if they can get that eighth win and, and head into the off season with some momentum. Uh, let's look at the other end of the spectrum here, Steve. Uh, disappointing performances. You know, I felt I was thinking about this earlier. I felt like it was a little bit harder to pick up a disappointing performance this week because I felt like the teams that needed to perform for the most part did. There's still a couple candidates out there, though. What, what was there a team out there that disappointed you this week? Yes, even though I picked them to lose by multiple scores, I was a little disappointed in what I saw from the Buffalo Bulls. This was a team that was four and four this year, had an opportunity to beat Bowling Green at home and improve to five and four, and they'd be one win away from bowl eligibility. That Bowling Green loss really seemed to take a lot out of the Bulls. They did fight back, and they had a good game against NIU and took them to overtime, but we saw no competitiveness from Buffalo against Ball State on senior night. And I was really expecting more out of Buffalo this season, especially after what we saw them beat an FCS team 79-7. to I'm like, okay, if you beat anyone 79-7, to you're a pretty good team. And Buffalo just didn't have it in them at the end of the season. They threw four interceptions, completed less than half their passes. And one thing that just really was unsettling to me for Buffalo this season was the lack of use of Kevin Marks. I know he got injured in the season. I know he wasn't putting up the best numbers earlier when he was getting his carries, but it's not like Kevin Marks forgot how to play football. I understand that the offensive line's different, but this was a guy that averaged over hundred rushing yards per game last year. He hit the thousand yard mark in 2019 he carried Buffalo in that bowl game last year when Jarrett Patterson was out. And just to see him get three carries and four yards as a senior in the final game, I just, I just didn't like seeing that because he deserves to go out better. I know he entered the transfer portal last year, and I, he, he decided to commit back to Buffalo. I, I just – now I'm kind of wanting to see what Kevin Marks could have been if he transferred to another program just because I feel like – Buffalo's not maximizing the most out of him. Totally agree with that. And I, I was I was very sad to see that as well. Not the way you wanted to see him go out. This was a guy that I thought would be, you know, a first-team All-Mac running back this year after he decided to come back. And, you know, you look at it, I mean, 108 carries on the year this year, that's less than half of his peak season. Back in 2019, he had 227 carries or 1,035 yards. That was while he was sharing a backfield with Jared Patterson this year. Obviously, Dylan McDuffie, Ron Cook also there. But I agree with you, Stephen. You know, speaking about, you know, Buffalo in general – even though the final score of this game was only 20 to three, it doesn't kind of scream blowout. Even that still watching this game, but you never got the sense that Buffalo was in the game. You know, ball state takes a 14, nothing lead after the first quarter. And it was never, there was never a threat after that. You mentioned Matt Myers throws four interceptions. Um, just not, not a, not a great game. I, I agree with you that, that, Bowling Green game seemed to kind of break something in the Bulls. They go from four and four to four and eight after they lose their last four. So I certainly agree with you there. And um, for me, Steve, this one, again, I feel like I'm kind of picking at straws here. But I, for my disappointing performance of the week, I, I got to go with I was underwhelmed by what I saw from Eastern Michigan on Friday against the Chippewas. You go into that game. Eastern Michigan has not won eight 
games in a season since 1987. When it, that was the year they went 10 and two. Since then, the most games they've won in a season is seven, and it will remain that way for another year. I mean, you had the chance to win eight games in a season for the first time since the 80s. You had the chance to uh, win the Michigan Mac Trophy for the first time since 2012. It's been almost a decade since they've had that tra- trophy at home in Ypsilanti. And even despite all that, I mean, you get blown out 31 to 10 by the Chippewas. Similar, you know, 31-10, and, you know, it was 14-0 Central Michigan in the fourth quarter there. It was 17-10 going into the fourth quarter. But even still, this Eastern Michigan offense, we've talked about it a lot, Steve. There's just as good as Ben Bryan and these receivers are, there's just no balance. There's no run game. And on a on a day like on Friday when Eastern Michigan's passing game isn't playing up to its – I mean, Ben Bryant's stats aren't terrible here, 24 of 35, but only 221 yards, only six yards per completion. And when, they, when their pass game wasn't as effective as it could be, they have no run game to turn to here. 27 carries – Five yards. That's including Ben Bryant's, you know, yardage for getting sacked. But even, I mean, your leading runner in this game is Bryson Moss. Five carries for 26 yards. Darius Boone only four for 13. I, I really expected, you know, I thought that was going to be a really close game. I thought Eastern Michigan had a good chance to win that game, Stephen. Uh, I was proven very wrong. Yeah, Eastern Michigan. I, the running game, they, they were showing some promise recently with Jawan Hamilton in the run game. He only got one carry against Central Michigan. But yeah, the, it hasn't been a consistent part of their offense all season. So when Ben Bryant isn't throwing for 300 yards, this team kind of struggles offensively, it looks like. I mean, we've seen Eastern Michigan, we've seen them score 50 points a few times this year, but we also saw them get held to 13 points against Miami. We saw them have low scoring output against a lower scoring output against Ohio in that 34 to 26 loss. So the offense isn't always on its game just because of the lack of the run game that they have. And that's the opposite with central Michigan. Central Michigan has shown the ability to beat teams through both facets of the offense. They'll pound Lou Nichols 40 times. He'll get 180, 200 yards. And then they also have three all Mac receivers with Dallas Dixon, Ja'Cory Sullivan, and of course, Khalil Pimpleton that are great at beating corners and safeties deep. So Central Michigan has a lot more dimensionality to their offense than Eastern Michigan has. And that definitely showed in that game on Friday. Yeah, it certainly did. So, um, Eastern Michigan going to finish seven and five central Michigan will finish eight and four here in the Mac central Michigan will retain the, uh, the Michigan Mac trophy for this year. Uh, we'll see, figure out here over the next week or so where those teams are going to go bowling along with the rest of the teams here in the Mac. So Steve, let's move into this weekend. Only one game this weekend, and it's a big one, the MAC championship game. Kent State, uh, courtesy of that victory over Miami, uh, enters as the East Division champion, 7-5 and five overall, 6-2 and two in the MAC. They're taking on the Northern Illinois Huskies, 8-4 and four overall, also 6-2 and two in the MAC. These two teams met uh, just about a month ago in, uh, in Kent at Dick Stadium. Kent State pulled out the 52-47 to 47 win in that one. Uh, despite NIU's comeback uh, attempt in the fourth quarter, uh, the Flashes were able to hold on there. Uh, so let's let's go with it a little bit of a deeper dive, a little bit of a deeper breakdown here, Steve. Let's start off when Northern Illinois has the ball, the Northern Illinois offense versus the Kent State defense. Rocky Lombardi last time set a school record for the Huskies, 532 yards, three touchdowns, 33 of 57 in this one. So that it's one of those games this year, Steve, where the, the Huskies went much more through the air than through the ground, which is kind of 
uh, opposite of their usual philosophy. Only 131 yards on the ground in this game, but 532 yards passing. Trayvon Rudolph, 14 receptions, 309 yards, three touchdowns. Now, Tyrese Ritchie did get hurt in this game. He had four carry or four receptions for 60 yards. Uh, got hurt in the fourth quarter. He has not played since then. I have not seen anything indicating that he would play this week in the MAC championship game. So perhaps one less weapon for the Kent State defense to worry about here. But I uh, wanted to get your thoughts. When Northern Illinois has the ball, um, what, 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 how do you see it playing out? Can the Kent State defense with new defensive coordinator uh, C.J. Cox, interim defensive coordinator uh, at the helm now for the last two weeks. The defense does seem like they've improved a little bit. Do you see them having any success against this uh, Huskies uh, offensive attack on Saturday? I think they'll have some success. I don't think that they're going to allow another 532-yard game from a quarterback. So, yeah, you can only go up from there, it feels like, if you're Kent State's defense because those were some absurd numbers that Rocky Lombardi and Trayvon Rudolph both posted in that midweek game back in November, but I do think that Kent state's defense, they, I I said, they, they stepped up to the occasion when it mattered against Miami, but still in that game, you allow 405 passing yards and four touchdowns and Miami averages nearly five yards a carry on the ground. Kent state wasn't able to force pressure against Miami. We saw a lot of pressure that they forced against Akron CJ West and the defense came up with a lot of sacks in that game, but Miami's offensive line held firm against Kent state. And I think that Northern Illinois offensive line might be able to do a similar thing because last time they played Kent state just registered one sack the entire game on the Huskies. So I think Rocky Lombardi is going to get his time to throw. And I think the running game, I think they're going to be able to block pretty well for Jay Ducker, Clint Rakovich and the halfbacks there at NIU. I think the Huskies are going to produce points, but I just don't see this game living up to 52 to 47. Again, I think it's going to be more in the maybe a forties to thirties type game. And NIU is going to be able to move the ball because Kent State has shown a lot of weaknesses in both areas of the defense, whether it's their passing defense or run defense. They rank in the hundreds in the FBS in both categories. They haven't been able to slow many down. They allow the most first downs in the entire FBS. So Northern Illinois should be able to get the sticks going a lot in this game. What the Huskies need to do is just take care of the ball and prevent turnovers because Kent State leads the country, uh, leads the MAC in turnover margin. They're second in the country behind Nevada in that mark. And if last game Tyrese Ritchie fumbled a ball, which really could have put Northern Illinois ahead big early, because if you remember, NIU was up 14 to three in that game. And if Ritchie didn't have that early fumble, it was a play that he got hurt. NIU could have been up 21 to three. They were driving in Kent State territory. That fumble then sparked Kent State to have a 31 point second quarter. They scored 31 in a single quarter. So NIU can't have a drastic play like that change the game away. So ball security is of utmost importance to NIU in this game because if you take care of the ball, you're probably going to be moving the sticks and you're probably going to make some damage on Kent State's defense. Totally agree with that. And I actually had that same exact thing written down. I'm glad you brought up that Tyrese Ritchie fumble because that to me in the first time these two teams played last month, that was where the game, the momentum, everything changed in that game. I felt like when he fumbled that ball and you know, Northern Illinois was looking like they were going into score. I, but I, I, you know, I agree with most of your assessment there, Steve. I just, this, this Kent state defense as, as much as they have looked a little bit better these last couple of weeks, obviously, you know, two weeks ago, you shut out Akron, which is, you know, it's great to get a shutout, their first shutout since 2009, uh, but still, you know, against an Akron team that, you know, they had been playing well offensively, but still they're overmatched. I think last week, 
I liked what I saw from, from Kent State's defense, especially, you know, there were times in the first half where I was really impressed with, um, with, their, de- with their defense. You know, they hold Miami to field goals in the red zone on, you know, their first two drives, or their three, three drives in the first half where they hold Miami to, uh, to field goals in the red zone. So I think there's, I'm seeing improvements from this Kent State offense. But man, just, you know, I was, I was reading your, the, the Kent State preview that you wrote um, and, you know, just some of the defensive statistics in there. Mike, I mean, you're, you're, you're allowing opposing quarterbacks to complete almost 64% of their passes, even though you're getting the interceptions, which you mentioned second in the FBS and turnover margin. It seems like there's not a lot of sustainable success outside of turnovers for this defense. So, you know, I look at the, you know, opponent rushing offense, you know, they're giving up almost five yards a carry, giving up 30 rushing touchdowns this year. Um, Their, their rushing defense is unbelievable to me. I mean, they're ranked 104th in the FBS and that's their best metric of any of the major rankings of, you know, defensive football. So I do, I like what I'm seeing. Uh, There, there are some encouraging signs for Kent state's defense here, but I still feel like this, um, this rushing offense, this rushing attack for Northern Illinois is too much uh, for this Kent State defense to slow down. Um, one thing to note here, like I mentioned, Tyrese Ritchie doesn't look like he's going to play. Harrison Way Lee still out for the Huskies as well. That hasn't been an issue for them, though. You know, Jay Ducker, Antonio Brown, Clint Rakovich have stepped in and, and filled that running back role nicely. Um, so we'll see. That That's going to be interesting. I'm going to be curious to see how the Kent State front seven with uh, Mandela, Lawrence Burke, and the rest of that linebacking crew is able to match up with this Huskies rushing attack. Uh, let's think about whenever the off, uh, Kent State offense has the ball here, Steve. You go back to Dustin Crum, 20 of 30, 322 yards and two touchdowns in the first meeting. But the I think the story for Kent State, the first time these two teams met, 360 yards on the ground, 45 attempts. That's eight yards per carry. Marquez Cooper had 173 yards and two touchdowns. Xavier Williams also broke the 100-yard mark. Dustin Crum had two rushing touchdowns. And Steve, for all of, all, all of the great qualities of this Northern Illinois team, Rush defense is an area where they struggle. They're 120th in the country, 11th at stopping the run, giving up almost 220 yards per game on the ground. Obviously, they didn't have much success stopping the flashes last time, giving up 52 points. What do you see, like, you know, what, what, what do you, from your perspective, what does Northern Illinois have to do differently if they want to have more success this time around against this Kent State offense? I think they have to practice better for tempo. I don't think that they were fully prepared for it last time because Kent State scored eight times in that game. All eight scoring drives consumed less than two minutes. That, that's kind of absurd, the pace that Kent State was moving at last game. And I just don't think that Northern Illinois was able to keep up with it. And that was one key thing that NIU needed to improve in order to win that game because Kent State was getting back to the line of scrimmage and they were already snapping the ball like before NIU could really get the defense set for the next play. And Kent State, they run a lot of different things out of their RPOs. I mean, sometimes they'll attack deep. They do a lot of quick slants and screens. And then you see a lot of power runnings and zone reads. And Marquez Cooper and Xavier Williams both topped 100 yards last time they played Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois wasn't able to get to them at the first level of the defense. Both of those running backs averaged around seven yards per carry in that game. And they were having it their way with the defense. Dustin Crum really evolved into a running quarterback in that game you see sometimes where crumbs a little more in the pocket and sometimes where he's a good runner that game he just had four carries for 72 yards two long rushing touchdowns he had in that game 
and Dustin Crum was able to do a lot of damage with his legs, and he took zero sacks in that game, which allowed Kent State to move the ball really well on the ground. So I think NIU needs an emphasis on stopping the run because it feels like if you stop the run of Kent State, that makes the golden flashes a lot worse than if, than if you take away their passing game because the run's their identity. Yeah. They're the top non-service academy, non-triple option running team in the country. Uh, they they were second overall last year. And now they're first. Uh, now they're third overall in the FBS. And there's just so many guys on this team that can get you a long run breakaway at any moment. Marquez Cooper, he had a season high last time he played Northern Illinois, 173 yards. A lot of breakaway runs for him. Xavier Williams added 103 on the ground. And Kent State will sometimes use Brian Bradford, who's more of their bulldozing running back too, to keep things uh keep things mixed up in the running game so there's a lot of different types of styles that NIU needs to stop in their running game and that's definitely going to be something that the Huskies need to focus on I remember last game in their press conference Lance DeVoe Northern Illinois all Mac linebacker said that the this is his quote he said that Kent State started scheming us up and they made adjustments and they executed those adjustments we knew they were a big RPO team and we were trying to stop the pass, but they gave us a lot more run than we were anticipating. That's probably a big adjustment for us. So it seemed like Kent's, uh, Northern Illinois was more prepared for Dustin Crum to slice him up with his arm instead of the, the barrage of runs that they got on the ground. Yeah, I, so a couple of things you said that I really, really agree with. I think the first thing is, um, they, like I, to me, Kent State – their identity is based in, in the run game. And I feel like if I'm Northern Illinois, that's what I need to shut down first. You know, I think a lot of people think about, you know, Mac offenses or just high powered college football offenses in general. And they tend to think that those are things, you know, think about the air raid and teams that air it out 60 times a game and think about, you know, that's typically the formula for a high powered offense, but this is a team that has more emphasis. You know, they're very balanced, 247 yards on the, on the ground per game, 241 yards uh, through the air. So I think, you mentioned um, you mentioned Lance DeVoe. The Northern Illinois linebacking trio, to me, might be kind of like the key to this game. Like Lance DeVoe, Nick Ratton, Dylan Thomas. Those three guys have been pretty good for the Huskies all year. And if they are able to get into the backfield and disrupt the timing of these RPOs and, and not allow Xavier Williams and Marquez Cooper to break off some of those long runs that they are known to do, I think that is going to be the key to success for this defense. Obviously, that's much easier said than done, but I think I agree with you. I think if I'm Northern Illinois and the defensive coaching staff there, I think my focus has got to be stopping the run and forcing Dustin Crum and this receiving core to beat him through the air. He's very capable of doing that, uh, as he has shown. Uh, and I mean, he, you know, he just threw for 300 yards against this defense a couple weeks ago. But this team also, again, they ran for 380 yards against Northern Illinois last time they played eight yards per carry. You can't be having that and, and expecting to win a conference championship game. One interesting thing here, um, just talking about rushing offense and prolific rushing offenses, Steve, these two teams both in the top five in the FBS in rushing offense. Kent State, you mentioned at third. Northern Illinois, not far behind them at fifth. Kent State, you know, 247 yards per game on the ground. Uh, NIU, right around 232. So you're going to see a lot of, uh, of rushing, you know, ground-based attack in this game. It'll be interesting to me to see how, how much uh, Northern Illinois chooses to air it out with Rocky Lombardi. 
So, Steve, I'm uh, going to put you on the spot. We've, we've uh, had all year to analyze these teams. Obviously, it all comes down to this moment at Ford Field on Saturday. Uh, I think both of us uh, picked Kent State at the beginning of the year. Neither of us picked Northern Illinois. I don't think anybody picked Northern Illinois coming out of the Mac West. I'm sure you saw the hoodies they're wearing to Ford Field on Friday with the graphic of the, the preseason coaches pull with them at, at sixth place in the Mac West, which I thought was pretty fantastic. But nonetheless, here they are. Uh, they have proven everyone wrong this year, won the Mac West, a great bounce back season. What do you see in this game, though? What's your what's your prediction? I mean, even if you're you know, even if you don't have it, haven't decided yet if you're leaning one way or the other, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that Kent State's going to go in with a similar strategy again. I know Sean Lewis said that the emphasis of the last game was stopping the run of Northern Illinois. You just mentioned they were a top five rushing offense and they were averaging well over 200 yards per game and Kent State held them to 140 on 39 attempts. So they were really forcing them to throw the football. I I think Kent State should stick to that same strategy because it's hard to replicate a 532 yard performance unless you're like Bailey Zappi or 2019 Joe Burrow. You, you don't see you don't see those performances grow on trees. So if you're Kent State, I think I think the front seven can perform well enough and stop the run for Northern Illinois if they focus on that. Similar to what Ball State did against Buffalo in the MAC championship game last year, and they forced Buffalo to air it out instead of win by Jarrett Patterson and Kevin Marks. I think if you're Kent State, you got to sell out on the run extra guys in the box there. And one name I really like, a name that I'm upset that I haven't mentioned on this podcast yet, is A.J. Mussolino. He has uh, had yeah. an excellent breakout season. He leads a team with 10.5 tackles for loss. I think he's third on the team in tackles, first among linebackers. He was just a special teams player until the season. Nice breakout year for him. I think he's going to be a key guy that Kent State's going to use in order to stop Jay Ducker, uh, Clint Rakovich, the rat dog, and the rest of this running game here. So... Uh, for I think Kent State's going to win this game. I think that their offense, I trust to deliver on a more consistent basis than Northern Illinois. Kent State gets really crafty with their offensive play calls. We saw that last time they played NIU. I, I, I've been raving about this play for so long where they snapped it to the running back and he handed it off to Dustin Crum and there was a fake reverse in that in there. Just yeah. stuff like that, that Sean Lewis and the Golden Flashes run just makes this offense so fun to watch. And they always keep it fresh. And I think that all their RPO schemes, I think that the speed of Dante Cephas against NIU's cornerbacks, the depth in the running back position with Marquez Cooper and Xavier Williams, both on hot streaks right now. And then Dustin Crum, who has shown the ability to run the ball recently against Akron, they basically made him a running back and he won Mac East player of the week honors due to his running numbers. But then last week they reverted him back to the quarterback position. As long as he remains mistake-free, he did throw two picks last week, first time since week one. If he can remain rather mistake-free, I think Kent State's offense is going to have no trouble putting up 40 in this game. I think they'll win by a score of like 41 to 31 is what I'm thinking at the moment. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, I, that's very likely. I, I could definitely see that. I, I'm going back and forth here, Steve, because I agree with your assessment of, of the offenses. I trust Kent State's offense, uh, you know, their, their, their identity, their consistency. I just, I still, I'm having a hard time trusting this Kent State defense, even, you know, they've improved a little bit over the last couple of weeks. You still, though, you know, last week against Miami, you still gave up 47 points. Brett Gabbard still threw for over 400 yards in that game. Um, and man, I, I keep going back and forth. I think, 
I am leaning towards Kent State only because of Northern Illinois' aforementioned struggles at stopping the run. They're giving up 217 yards a game on the ground, which is 120th in the FBS. And I just I don't see them being able to stop uh, Dustin Crum and this RPO offense. Um, I, I, I think I'm going to pick Kent State. Um, I, I also, one other thing you said earlier that I'm, I do agree with, I think this will be a lower scoring game. I don't think we're going to you know, be pushing 100 points in this one. I think I'm probably going to go, I'm going to go Kent State somewhere in that ballpark. I, I think this is a very close game. I think maybe, uh, you know, 35-31, something along those, 35-31, 38-34, something along those lines. It'll be very, uh, very tightly contested game. And uh, for anyone that's uh, betting inclined currently, Kent State, a three and a half point favorite in this one, the total set at 74 and a half. So a lot of points expected in this one. We'll see if the offenses are able to live up to the billing. Uh, this one kicks on noon on Saturday on ESPN. Uh, so, I mean, basically, Steve, I guess that, that can be a good transition into um, wrapping up and looking at the rest of the slate here for championship weekend. But one thing I love about that noon slate on Saturday is that you only got one other game in competition. You got Baylor and Oklahoma state also kicking at noon in the big 12 championship. Other than that, all the other, you know, bigger games don't kick until later in the day. SEC's at four AAC's at four big tens and and the ACC are in in the evening. So um, a lot of eyeballs going to be on, on Ford field on Saturday at, at noon. Um, Let's take a look at the rest of the, the slate here, Steve. A lot of interesting matchups here on championship weekend. Uh, what, what sticks out to you? Uh, before we go, just a stat that I had about the MAC championship game. Yeah. Off the top of my head, we have had three consecutive upsets in the MAC championship. Mm. We had in 2020, Ball State was underdogs to Buffalo, I think around a touchdown or something in that one. Yeah. In 2019, Miami was underdogs of Central Michigan. In 2018, NIU, they're 3.5 underdogs this week. They were 3.5 point underdogs to Buffalo. Had a nice comeback win to win 30 to 29 in that game. I think out of all conference championships, I feel like the MAC is the most inclined one to have the upset. Uh, you go back, you think back to that 2013 Northern Illinois Bowling Green game where NIU seemed destined to secure their second straight BCS bull bid with Jordan Lynch, and Bowling Green decimated them from the start. So I, I, it's definitely the toughest championship game to predict because it always feels like the unexpected result prevails. Even in 2016, Western Michigan, they were, Ohio was driving. They almost knocked off Western Michigan yeah. with a comeback in that fourth quarter. So we've had definitely some interesting games outside of the 2017 Toledo Akron one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was, but it, even that one in itself, it's like, it doesn't, it's like, it's not that long ago that Akron was in the, in the conference championship game and you see what's happened to them since then. Um, so yeah, it's certainly, it, I agree with you. It is a, a very, uh, well, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It's, it's very prone to the upset, as you're saying, I'm even looking back at some of these results. Um, man, I, I forgot 2013 through 2015, we had Bowling Green in Northern Illinois, three straight years in the Mac championship game. I, I forgot about that. And then obviously you go back to 2012, uh, two ranked teams with a BCS, you know, with a BCS bowl on the line, Kent state at 18, Northern Illinois, Northern Illinois at 19, Jordan Lynch, uh, led the Huskies over the dry archer led, uh, golden flashes in that one, double overtime. Perhaps Kent state has a little bit of uh, revenge on their mind this week. 
Yeah, and right before I get to the other slate this week, that game, I, I was just re-watching it on YouTube. I was looking up the box score in that game. Kent, St- uh, Kent State was outgained by over two times by Northern Illinois. I don't know how this game went to double overtime just looking at the box score yeah. because Northern Illinois outshines them in almost every category. The rushing numbers, 312 to 70. Jordan Lynch just dominated on the ground. But – Kent State committed one fewer turnover, and every time NIU committed a turnover, it was opportune field position or a fumble return for a touchdown for Kent State. So some crazy turnovers kind of got that game to double overtime, but that was definitely an interesting MAC championship game and probably the most, the highest stakes one that we've had in a long time just due to the nature that the winner was bound for the BCS Bowl due to the rules at the time. Yeah. Wow. I just, I just pulled up that box score. Now that you mentioned that five twenty four to two sixty Northern Illinois outgame the golden flashes in that game. That is, that is absurd. Yeah. And let's see, to look over to answer one of your earlier questions at the rest of the slate this week, I'll say that the most interesting conference championship game to me is probably pit wake forest. Hmm. I'm not going to yeah. lie. That one just screams 48 to 45 final. You have Kenny Pickett and Sam Hartman dueling at quarterbacks in that game. In terms of just, I mean, scrap all the playoff stakes and all of that out of the games. Pitt Wake Forest is just sounds like fun football. It's going to be the exact opposite of Michigan, Iowa. Michigan, <laughs> yes. Iowa is going to be like a game where I, I can envision Michigan. It'll feel like a blowout. It'll be just like that Buffalo Ball State game last week. Yeah. where Michigan will be in control the entire time, but they'll only win by like two scores. It'll be like 21 to nine final score. And totally it's going to be a lot of punting, a lot of turnovers and ugly football. Pitt Wake Forest though, that just sounds like a fireworks fest. It sounds like Kent State versus NIU round one, but more dueling through the air with Kenny Pickett and Sam Hartman. A lot of good receivers in this matchup. Jordan Addison from Pitt, especially. He played really well in that Virginia game a few weeks ago. And I'm excited to see what he does against Wake Forest secondary. These teams can pile on the points, and we're going to get our first non-Clemson ACC champion since 2014. So I'm really looking forward to what the ACC has to offer. Totally agree. I I agree with you, Steve. I think that's a fantastic matchup. The only thing that would have made that matchup more enticing for me, I would have loved it if Wake would have come into this game 12 and 0 and then, you know, the top seven, top eight, that would have been, that could have had the potential to throw a serious wrench into the playoff uh, this year. Obviously not going to happen now though. Both teams enter at 10 and two really regardless. So awesome, really exciting game. I'm looking forward to two games. I wanted to get your thoughts on here, Steve, you've covered Houston all year. I see the I see the Cougars as a 10 and a half point underdog against Cincinnati right now. Cincinnati looked really good against SMU in the last time out. Houston, I've you know, I've watched a couple of their last few games. I, I watched them play uh, Memphis a couple weeks ago. They didn't blow me away in that game, but they found the way to win. I'm not saying I think Houston wins this game, Steve, but I, I feel like they're not getting quite enough respect with the, being a double-digit underdog. What do you how do you see that one playing out? I'm actually going to be in Cincinnati for this game. So wow, awesome. I've never been to Nippert Stadium before, but the fact that this is a home game for Cincinnati, I think does a lot. Dana Holgerson was commenting in the Media Day press conference this week that he wishes this was a neutral site game like uh, six conferences have the MAC and then the five conferences with automatic bids in the New Year's six. So yes. the fact that this is a Nippert Stadium, I think 
bodes well for Cincinnati. They have not lost a game in Nippert Stadium since 2017, Luke Fickle's first year. They have the second longest home win streak in the FBS. They've won 26 in a row. Only Clemson has more. And Cincinnati, they played their best games this year against the best competition. Yeah. It, it just feels like Cincinnati hits a new gear when they see a ranking next to a team or just a good record. I mean, SMU, they blew them away. They were up 48-0 to zero early on in that game. Against Notre Dame, they were up 17-0 to zero for a while in that game before Notre Dame had uh, staged a mini comeback. And then another great Cincinnati win this year was against – when they played UCF, a team that finished eight and four, Cincinnati was up 35-0 before they allowed their first points. So I think since he just plays good teams better, I know it doesn't always make the most sense. And I, I think that Houston, they're really going to have to have a heck of a game from Clayton Toon in order to take down Cincinnati. Cincinnati has such a great passing defense, and I don't know if Houston's going to be able to really impose their will on it because the Houston offense has shown inconsistencies at time, like when they were shut out for a half against ECU, but it's an intriguing game and AAC championships. I will say the Mac is the most upset prone championship. I think the AAC is usually the best championship game we get in a year. Mm. The last four AAC championship games have all had a go ahead score in the final two minutes uh, in the fourth, in the fourth quarter, and three of them have had a go-ahead score in the final two minutes or in overtime. So wow. we had the UCF-Memphis games in 2017-18. We had Memphis-Cincinnati in 2019. And in 2020, we had that Cincinnati-Tulsa game, which came down to a game-winning field goal. Yeah. So I think this is going to be a really intriguing game this weekend. I totally agree with you. I, I you know, I was, I had, there were a couple weeks there. I mean, I watched Cincinnati play Tulsa. I watched them play South Florida. They didn't really blow me away either time. And then I watched them play SMU and I was like, okay, this looks like a different team here to your point where it's like, they seem to play their best against their best competition. That'll be an interesting one. One more I wanted to ask you about before we get out of here, Steve, um, another team that is, seems to be coming on strong here at the end of the year, Western Kentucky is on fire right now, Steve. And obviously on the other side of the ball, it's, uh, UTSA, the Roadrunners kind of came down to earth a little bit here in, 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 in inexplicable fashion this past weekend, losing to North Texas 45 to 23. I now see Western Kentucky comes into this game as a favorite, even though UTSA is the home team here. Um, that's another one that's intriguing to me. How do you see this one playing out? Well, the first one you said team that was coming on strong, I was getting ready to talk about Oklahoma State because I thought oh, you were them too. About yeah. the that, that's going to be an interesting game itself. And I'll just say in that one, if Oklahoma State wins, and Bama loses to Georgia, I think that could be a really interesting scenario with Mike yeah. Gundy getting his first playoffs. Potential revenge for 2011 when Bama snubbed Oklahoma State from that national championship game by the thinnest BCS margin ever. But going to the CUSA title game, I'm so glad this is on a Friday because I don't know how many people have actually watched Bailey Zappi play football this year. Yeah. He's eight touchdowns away from tying Joe Burrow's record that he set in 2019 with 60 touchdown passes. So Zappi's on the verge of making history. He's 32 yards away from the 5,000-yard mark. And WKU's hot right now. They had a crazy loss to Indiana at the beginning of the year when Indiana was playing a little better. And WKU, they found their footing recently. They've won seven straight. And they probably should have beat UTSA in that first meeting. There was a goal line interception that Zappi threw. Incredible interception by UTSA by Clarence Hicks, which turned the tide of that game and gave UTSA a six-point victory. 
But with the way these teams are trending now, and it's not just a one-game thing for UTSA, they had to have a goal line score in the final seconds to beat UAB. And in the previous game against Southern Miss, a really bad Southern Miss team, UTSA was in a dogfight in the fourth quarter. It was a one-score game really late at the Alamo Dome. So I do like WKU in this game because I like their current trend instead of the way UTSA, the direction UTSA is going. But I can tell you, the Alamo Dome is rocking more than ever this year. They're opening the upper deck in that stadium now. And it's going to be a good atmosphere, probably one of the best USA title game atmospheres we've had in quite some time. And that's going to be a fun game on Friday along with the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, no doubt. Bailey Zappi, anyone out there that hasn't watched him this year, 4,968 passing yards, 52 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He's thrown 580 passes and completed 70% of them. That I mean, just think about that. That is absurd quarterback play for the transfer from, uh, from F- FCS Houston Baptist. Uh, Steve, any, any final thoughts on championship weekend or anything Mac related before we get out of here? Georgia Bama is going to be an interesting one. I know that's the headline game. It's one versus three, 12 and 0 versus 11 and one. And Bama was so close to pretty much being eliminated from the playoff last week. Auburn had to do everything they wanted to do to blow that game. I'm always, you know how much I love the play that Western Michigan runs where they push Caleb Ellaby by the goal line to get a yard. Come on, Auburn. It's third and one. And they, they instead give a delayed handoff to Tank Bigsby and he gets blown up in the backfield and then they have to punt it away. It's third and one. All you have to do is you line up. I know TJ Finley, your quarterback's injured under center. You line him up, you push him there. And then Bama has two losses and we don't have as much playoff debate on this final week. But I think if Georgia can put away Bama the way Georgia defenses have put away teams this year, I think we're going to get an intriguing playoff we could get Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma State. And sign me up for that. Those yeah. are fresh teams, new teams, and we're going to get a team that hasn't won a national championship in quite some time. The, these are teams that we've seen do pretty well before, 09 Cincinnati, 2011 Oklahoma State, 2017 Georgia. And we've seen Michigan up there a few times, like in t- 2011 when they won the Sugar Bowl. But those four teams, it just feels like fresh blood. And that's something college football's needed for a long time. So I think this is about as energized as I've been going into a conference championship weekend in quite some time. I totally agree with your assessment in terms of fresh blood in the playoff. I'm, I'm, I will be ecstatic if Cincinnati and Oklahoma State both get in. I think that will be awesome. Um, I think also probably my mind counted Bama's win against Auburn as a loss loss. this past week and they should have lost that game. There's, there's no way they should have won that game. As you mentioned, you know, that Auburn play calling at the end of regulation, they're not, not great. And then it allows Bama to go where they go 97 yards there, 98 yards in the last, you know, minute and a half, two minutes to tie that game up and send it to overtime. So yeah, Bama, Georgia, that'll certainly be the headliner on Saturday. A lot of eyeballs will be on that one. We'll see if the the Bulldogs can continue their uh, undefeated uh, run this season behind that unbelievable defense. So that'll wrap it up for the football segment here this week, folks. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. We'll be back next week with a wrap-up of the the championship game and of just the season in general. Uh, I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with Vanzi to take a look at the week in MAC basketball. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for sticking around after the commercial break. As always, to close out the show this week, we're going to do a little uh, Mac basketball breakdown recap of the week. Joined, as always, by fellow Hustle Belter, Zach Fanuenzi. Fanzi, how you doing tonight, man? 
Uh, pretty good, you know, continuing to put a dent in the leftovers from Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, we're kind of racing time, you know, like, will I finish them before they go bad? So, you know, I think uh, that's been my big struggle this week. That is a struggle. What What's your go-to, like, what's your favorite, I, tur- turkey aside, if you had to give me your favorite side dish on Thanksgiving, what are you going with? I, I honestly, I love stuffing. Give me the stovetop yeah. stuffing, you know, that salad. Um, don't give me the homemade where you get the homemade kind with a lot of celery. I'm not about the celery. <laughs> not, not a fan. Yeah. We don't need vegetables on Thanksgiving. I'm with you there. I'm all, I'm above, I'm about the, the, uh, the stuffing as well. My mom makes a mean sweet potato casserole with little like, uh, like brown sugar, cinnamon on top. That's, that's a good go-to as well. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there, man. I'm still recovering a little bit. I think I was in a food coma until Sunday, but anyway, man, uh, we were talking last week, obviously that whole week of Thanksgiving, huge week for college basketball, a bunch of Mac teams going down South, taking part in some of those, you know, non-conference tournaments, other events, some really high profile games from, uh, from the Mac this week. Um, let's start out here, Vanzi. Let's just take a quick look at the standings and where we're at top of the mountain right now. We got Toledo sitting at six and one. They've won four in a row, a really nice week for the Rockets. If you're a Rockets fan, you got Miami right behind them at five and two along with uh, Ohio also at five and two, then you got Buffalo and Kent state at four and two before we even get into any games or any specific performances, anything like that, Vansy, when you look at the standings right now, anything here that, that surprises you or, and you know, kind of catches you off guard, you think might, you know, might change here in the next couple of weeks as we continue to move towards conference play. What do you think about how the standings look right now? Well, one, I kind of just throw the standings out the window right now. I mean, yeah, a team like Central yeah. Michigan, who's just playing everybody and anybody, you know, uh, Gonzaga and some of the top teams. And then you got schools who are playing Division Three NIAA schools. So those early season standings at this point really don't matter a lot. But I think you are starting to see a kind of shift uh, in a matter where you're seeing the teams that some people expected to finish lower in the conference kind of trending down, you know, the Western Michigans, the Central Michigans, uh, the, you know, Eastern Michigan um, is kind of down in that bottom tier right now. Um, Northern Illinois has looked good, but they're still fairly far down on the standings. So, you know, I think you're kind of seeing, you know, that hierarchy, but also scheduling type plays a big part in it as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, man, you mentioned the scheduling and some of the, the you know, the non-conference schedules that some of these MAC teams are dealing with right now. Man, there's been some there's been some tough matchups this week. I mean, you mentioned Central Michigan. You know, they go out to Vegas and their reward for going out there. They take on Gonzaga, uh, the number one team in the country. I don't think it was um, it was a surprise to see them lose by 50 in that game. Um, any any results that kind of caught your eye this week or any any teams, any performances that impressed you? What, what caught your eyes? You were, uh, you know, watching this week. Yeah, I definitely think, uh, you know, a couple of, a couple of them uh, that stood out, uh, Toledo, I mean, a great week for them, you know, they beat Tulane, they beat Charlotte, they beat Coastal Carolina, I mean, that's just a really solid, solid week for them, that stood out to me, Ball State, you know, we were kind of down on Ball State, then they go out, they beat UMass, uh, you know, a, a solid mid-major. They've been up and down this year, UMass. And then they beat Indiana State, uh, in-state foe. So I think you're seeing, you know, that's a good week for them to kind of keep them in the, the picture there. And then last night, uh, you know, you have Cincinnati, Miami, a rivalry game, uh, more so in football. But Cincinnati wins it by a point. Well, Cincinnati early on in the season was red hot. 
Um, they've kind of cooled off a little bit right now. But you look at that Miami team, you know, losing by one. For, first off, that that's a great, you know, good on Cincinnati to schedule that game to go into Oxford. A lot of bigger schools wouldn't touch that in this day and age in scheduling. But you look at the Purdue Boilermakers, they might be the best team in America right now out of the Big Ten. Well, Jack Owens, the head coach of Miami, came from Purdue a couple years ago. And, you know, you see a lot of similarities there. So that stood out to me. I'm really impressed with the Miami uh, Red Hawks at this point. Uh, I think they're a sleeper in the conference. And uh, it's a a shame they couldn't knock off their rival there um, in the Bearcats. But also the uh, another one that jumped out to me, Bowling Green. Uh, they took yeah. on NBA Lotto uh, candidate uh, Patrick Baldwin uh, at Milwaukee, and they beat Milwaukee rather easily. Baldwin, uh, I think, only fourteen points left with an injury, um, but it was you know fun game to watch. Get on ESPNU and watch, or not ESPNU, but ESPN Plus, and kind of watch that and see a Max School play a big prospect like that and get the better end of that deal so those were some of the games that really just kind of jumped out at me um a a much better week for the conference this week totally agree and and i want to start you know you mentioned miami there vansy i wanted to start with them heartbreaking tough loss for for the red hawks last night against uh cincinnati i had tweeted out yesterday you know Miami hasn't beaten Cincinnati in basketball since 1991 last night. I mean, was their best chance to do it. You know, they were, they were up in this game at the, you know, at the 13 minute mark of the second half, Miami was up 45, 37 in this game. And they just, uh, you know, they, they kind of went cold there the end of the, you know, the last, uh, last half there, the you know, last quarter of the game uh, we ended up losing 59, 58, but man, I tell you what, this Miami team, at the beginning of the year, I was a little bit concerned about, you know, where the points might come from when you're, you know, when you look at this team, but I mean, you got Day-Day Grant averaging 17 a game, Makai Larry averaging 14 and a half. And then what about underneath? You got Precious Aya uh, for Miami, 10 points a game. He's giving you 5.4 rebounds a game. He's shooting 78% from the field. I mean, this is a team, good guard play, good underneath. And even when you look at it statistically, Second in the MAC in, in scoring offense, they're averaging 81 a game. Third in the MAC in scoring defense, they're only giving up 62 a game. So, I, I again, as you mentioned earlier, back to your original point, obviously you got to take the context of scheduling into this and who they've played. They haven't played the toughest schedule leading up to that Cincinnati game, but nonetheless, I mean, a, a couple of other nice wins for uh, for the uh, for the Red Hawks. You know, we we talked a couple weeks ago about their um, their their you know upset to open the season down at Georgia Tech and. One other team I wanted to touch on here, Vansy, a team that we've been ragging on a little bit the last couple of weeks, and because frankly they deserved it. But I, I it's it seems to me that uh, Western Michigan seems to be improving a little bit. We when we spoke last week, we were talking about how they had just lost at home by seventeen to Division Two Savannah, or I'm sorry, uh, Saginaw Valley State. After that, they go to Iowa. They lose by 40-plus. Then they go down to Florida to the FGCU Invitational. They almost knock off Florida Gulf Coast in the first game, 77-67. But then they pick up two wins in back-to-back days against uh, Purdue-Fort Wayne and Southeast Louisiana. Now, I'm not sitting here. You know, obviously, nobody's going to confuse those two teams for Duke and Kentucky. But if you would have asked me last week after we talked about that uh, the Saginaw Valley State game, I would have said, I, I don't see how this team wins, you know, more than four or five games this year. And they pick up two, uh, you know, two uh, 
D1 wins back-to-back days. And the, uh, the guy I really wanted to point out when it comes to Western Michigan that I've really been impressed with here, Lamar Norman, uh, the, the transfer from Duquesne, transferred back closer to home. The Grand, he's, you know, he's from Grand Rapids. He's been playing at a really high level this week. He's actually leading the MAC in scoring right now. Averaging 20.1 points per game over the course of this week, he averaged 22 points in their four games, shot 48% from the field, 42% from three, shot 18 of 43 from three point land. Their game on Sunday against Southeast Louisiana, uh, which they won in overtime, 31 points, six for 14 from three. 11 for 20 from the field overall. Vanzi, I'm not sitting here saying the Western Michigan is going to turn around and win the MAC championship this year, but they do seem, it felt like they hit rock bottom in that Saginaw Valley state game. And it seems like they're, they've improved a little bit since then. Have you had a chance to watch the Broncos or what's your thoughts on the Broncos right now? Yeah. And, and Lamar Norman, he was one of those players, you know, not a, a Michigan or Michigan state level, but he was one of the top prep players in, in the mitten state. He was a real talented player. Um, he, you know, and his um, Marquise Hastings, who's also there at uh, Western Michigan was another player like that. Hastings went the Butler and then came back to, uh, to the state for Western. And he's one of the top rebounders in the conference. So Western Michigan's kind of developing that one, two punch. And then once they get Beardis White back to uh, full health, assuming that that happens, then you're talking about, you know, three potential guys. And and those three guys can win some games in the conference. Uh, They really needed it. It, You know, I mean, I I really went in in on them uh, last week, you know, and in the Clayton Bates era. And, you know, I doubt if that motivated them. But, you know, something along the line obviously motivated them. And, you know, right now you look at that max scoring race and you got Norman with uh, 20.1 points per game. And then Rollins of Toledo, um, who I'll talk more about later, I'm sure. But he's got, you know, 20 points. So, you know, just a tight, tight race there. Um, you know, so that's definitely going to be something to watch moving forward, how that trends. But, uh, you know, the new day of the transfer portal, Western Michigan, finding some guys who can really help that team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's crazy how the transfer portal has changed the way you can build a team, not just in football or not just in basketball, but football as well. It's crazy. It's almost, you know, it's like free agency has come to college athletics, which is, it's, it's a little bit absurd to see two other teams. I wanted to touch on here, Vanzi. Um, from my perspective, and then we, you know, if there's, if there's anyone else you want, want to talk about, we're, I'm happy to do that as well. We talked about Ball State a little bit last week, and I and I feel like I owe the Cardinals. Um, I, I gotta I gotta eat a little bit of crow here because you know I, I said last week we sat here and I talked. I said I look at this Ball State roster, and I just don't see where the points are going to come from. They turned around this week. I don't know. Maybe that maybe they're listening to the podcast. They put up 89 on UMass. They scored 97 against Indiana State. 80 in a loss at Western Illinois on Sunday. But I mean, Tyler Cochran, Luke Bumbleo, both playing really well right now uh, for Ball State. And then you also wanted to touch on, uh, you, you mentioned uh, Ryan Rollins and this, uh, this Toledo team right now. Man, offensively, this team looks lethal, which has been the case for, for Toledo uh, over the last number of years. I mean, 98 against uh, at Charlotte. Uh, in the first round down in Florida or down in the Bahamas, excuse me. And then 79 against coastal Carolina uh, in the, in the championship game down there, you mentioned Ryan Rollins, Ryan Rollins playing at a really high level right now. I mean, uh, I, I really like what this, what he's doing, the sophomore, the four, the freshman of the year in the Mac last year, you mentioned, you know, 20 points a game shooting 49% from the field. I really like what I'm seeing from the Rockets right now, Vanzi. Yeah. You know, like, uh, 
some of his scoring totals the last week, you know, you have 16 points, 22 points, 35 points, you know, so those are some real impressive totals. And I'm a, I'm a pretty big NBA guy, uh, you know, love the Detroit Pistons, you know, I'm a suffering fan right now, but I also, <laughs> I also follow the draft pretty heavily. And Ryan Rollins is a name where you're starting to kind of see that helium like Jason Preston a year ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, or, or like, uh, you know, the Holmes back in the day from Bowling Green. You can just kind of see that he's starting to rise up that that list of, of potential draftees. And he looks the part right now. So if he can keep it up the rest of the season, you know, see where Toledo goes. But I he's. My probably right now, I, I would have a hard time picking anybody else uh, for the Mac player of the year. Um, he's looked that good. And and I, I'm really, I mean, I was bullish on Toledo, you know, with some of the pieces they lost and some of the stuff that's going on with Kowalchuk and all that. Um, yeah. You know, I love Rollins and then I love what they have. Uh, Raheem Moss, you know, uh, the guard there, you know, just physical, tough, kind of does the dirty work, athletic. You know, and I, I, I love the matchup of those pieces in Toledo. Yeah, I'm with you there. And you just, you know, Ryan Walt Rollins, you watch him play. He's so smooth. He's so natural. You got that, you know, 6'4", long frame, can shoot, can defend, can rebound. I, I, I agree with you, Vanzi. I mean, he does seem like a guy. He continues to develop on this trajectory. Could certainly see him getting a look uh, at the next level. Before we look ahead uh, at the the week ahead of us here, Vanzi, um, anything else from, from this week uh, – you know, this past week in the Mac, any other games or teams or any other observations from your perspective? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was a little disappointed. I mean, there's so much going on in the conference that it almost kind of got glossed over, but I was disappointed in the Akron zips, you know, John gross, Mm -hmm. you know, Akron, you know, I mean, I was pretty high on them coming into the season. They lost three of four uh, through their last four games before they played Marshall last night, they did beat Marshall. um, But, you know, when you're Akron and you have a coach like John Gross and you have the talent that you have, you shouldn't be losing games, uh, you, you know, three out of four. That just shouldn't happen. So you have to be disappointed there. Uh, and Eastern Michigan, you know, I think uh, I was a little disappointed. They, you know, after playing so many tight games, showing some great games, they went on the road to DePaul and basically got ran out of that gym. Uh, they, they had a pretty strong second half. They kind of hung in there, kind of figured out some things without Noah Farrakhan. Uh, Monty Scott looks like he's going to be an all-Mac guy. But yeah. I, I expected more in that matchup. And really after about the 12-minute mark of the first half, they, they weren't in the ball game. So that was disappointing to see. Um, you know, But still a lot of basketball left. And, and I did want to mention, you talked about NIU. Um, or you talked about uh, Miami, excuse me, Miami who beat Georgia Tech. Uh, I was thinking back to football, but Miami who beat Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech just played a pretty good Wisconsin team, and, and, and they only have one loss right now, um, the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. So that win, uh, you know, just continues to look better and better for Miami. Yeah, agree with you there. You know, and, and uh, one other team I, I wanted to touch on real quick here, Vanzi. You know, you mentioned being a little bit disappointed in Akron. Uh, which I, I completely agree. It seems like there's some things uh, going on behind the scenes there at Akron right now. I saw some rumblings on Twitter today. Has not been confirmed or anything, but some accounts associated or, you know, close to the University of Akron 
there were some rumblings that KJ Walton is no longer a part of, of the program. Now he, he's only, you know, just transferred there from ball state prior to this season, did not play against Marshall last night. Perhaps it bodes well for them that they were able to pull that game out without him. So I don't, we'll have to keep an eye on that moving forward and, and, and see what happens. But uh, you know, the other team that I, I, and again, Vanzi, you know, we, I, I'll keep saying this. You, you mentioned at the beginning, I agree with you completely. You got to take the context of scheduling into account here at this time of the year. However, um, it's starting to look to me like it's going to be a really long year in Mount Pleasant. And I don't think that's a surprise to anyone, but you look at what they did over this past week. I mean, obviously I'm not expecting them to go on the road and beat Gonzaga. I'm not expecting them to go on the road and beat Kentucky. I'm not expecting them to go on the road and beat Xavier. I do think it's reasonable to expect them to beat Bellarmine at home. Bellarmine is two and six with their two wins being Central Michigan and the Division Three school. You know, Central Michigan right now, they are. Uh, hold on, let me pull my stats back up. I mean, you're looking at a team 11th in the MAC in offense, in scoring offense, 12th in the MAC in scoring defense. They're only scoring 60 points a game, and they're giving up 83. Now, again, I know those stats are a little bit skewed based on who they've played. But you even you look at some of the teams that they've played. Again, Gonzaga, number one team in the country. Kentucky, they're in the top 10. They, you know, Central Michigan never was competitive in this game. You know, it was it was 25 to 5 at one point in this game before Kentucky went on to win 85 to 57. You think about back a couple weeks, that same gym, uh, the Ohio Bobcats walked in there. And I mean, they were down by two points at halftime against Kentucky. Now, Kentucky ran away from them a little bit in the second half. But I, I think I compare that. And then I also look, you know, Central Michigan, a couple days later, they go down to the Sinta Center in, uh, in Cincinnati to take on Xavier. And once again, never really were competitive in this game. Xavier blows them out by 33. This is a Xavier team that uh, a couple weeks ago, Kent State went into that gym. Kent State was beating Xavier at halftime and actually had the lead until about the halfway point of the, uh, the second half. And so I, I say all that to say, you know, you, you look at these teams, it's kind of like the transitive property where I see – a Mac team went into Xavier's gym, was competitive with them. Ohio went into Kentucky's gym, it was competitive with them. And Central Michigan just was not competitive at all in either scenario. You mix in there with that in the same week, that loss at home to Bellarmine. Not a good week for the Chippewas, Bansy. And again, I don't think any of us were expecting big things from the Chippewas this year, but it's starting to look like it's going to be a tall hill to climb for Tony Barbie there in Mount Pleasant. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, and I think when you looked at the roster last year, there there wasn't a lot there. And then they had some transfers and some injuries and some, you know, all that going on. And they got Jermaine Jackson, who I who I like, but you just look at that roster and it's kind of that weird fit, you know. And and I kind of think some of these teams, you know, you make, you know, you make a coaching change coming out of COVID and you got the transfer portal, but it almost feels like you have to take in some pieces and kind of throw them at the wall. And then, okay, we got one or two guys who are going to stick. And then next year you got to do it again and then get another one or two guys, you know? So if you hit on your transfer portal guys, you can get real good real quick. But if you don't, then you're kind of looking at like you have these pieces that don't fit and it could become a multi-year thing of trying to get the, the transfer portal to work um, because you're starting to see mid-major basketball. It's not so much about recruiting the high school guys. And it used to be recruiting the JUCO guys and get them in and turn it around. Now it's the transfer portal guys. And sometimes the, the fit just isn't there. And you may take in six guys and you may get one or two. And definitely Central Michigan historically has been a tough place to recruit. It's just hard to tell, you know, I mean, say a, a recruit out of Chicago or Detroit. Hey, come up to Mount Pleasant, you know, and 
you're an hour from, you know, the nearest real city. And I yeah. think you're seeing some of that. Um, I, you know, I, Tony Barbie's going to have a real tough time. I think they're turning it around um, there in Mount Pleasant. Yeah, certainly. So let's take a look at the, the week ahead here, Vansy. Some interesting matchups. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're obviously, you know, we're right in the thick of uh, the non-conference schedule here. You got a couple weeks before conference play starts. Some high-profile matchups here. Uh, some, some, some good, I mean, I, I really like some of the options we got uh, in terms of our viewing this week uh, when it comes to the Mac basketball. Any games you have uh, circled on your calendar? Oh uh, yeah. You know, I think um, Miami, Indiana state, you know, I, I think Indiana, I think Miami should win that one rather handily. Uh, Indiana state has not been looking the best this year. Uh, just kind of running down their schedule there. Uh, NIU Dayton Dayton's really kind of been up and down. They, you know, that could be a potential upset for NIU because Dayton yeah. does not look that good. And I really feel bad for the Dayton flyer fans because the COVID year when they had Obi Toppin and all that, uh, they looked like a final four team. They lost that chance. And it's just been kind of going downhill now. Um, you know, and then the, uh, another one, um, as a Michigan fan, I just want to point out on the week of the big 10 championship game, Toledo at Michigan state, Michigan state fans can enjoy that one because there's not a football game pertaining to the <laughs> so, um, Toledo at Michigan state, you know, I, at the start of the year, I thought, boy, maybe Toledo can sneak that one. And I, I'm higher on Toledo now than what I was, but I'm also higher on Michigan State. Malik Hall, yeah. Gabe Brown, Marcus Bingham, uh, Max Christie. I think that's going to be a real tough game for the Toledo Rockets. Totally agree with you. I think those are all three good, uh, good picks. You know, one game that I have circled here, Vansy, that not just in the MAC, but like I think is a under-the-radar really good game just nationally – uh, Buffalo travels down to St. Bonaventure Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. The Bonnies, no joke. I mean, this is a team that has wins over Clemson, over Marquette. This is a team that's been to the NCAA tournament here, uh, what, three times in the last six years. This is uh, including last year where they were a nine seed against LSU. This is a, a solid squad the Bonnies have. I mean, Jaron Holmes and Kyle Lofton, their two guards, both averaging over 17 a game. Going to be an interesting matchup. They're much more of a guard-oriented team. I mean, their top four scorers are all guards. So it makes me feel that, like, you know, Josh Mbala uh, and some of those, you know, big guys that they have underneath the hoop for, for uh, Buffalo can go in there and kind of have their way. But I think that's going to be a really, really interesting game, a really nice test for Buffalo, who, in my estimation, Vansy, I mean, I think, I, you know, I look at, at, at Buffalo, Ohio, maybe throw Toledo in that mix. I mean, those, they feel like the three best teams in the conference to me right now. You could probably convince me the other way on Toledo, but I think Buffalo and Ohio for sure have looked really good so far. Maybe you throw Miami in there as well at the number three spot. I think for a team like that, for Buffalo, love to see them go and testing themselves out, out of conference, playing a, a, a lo somewhat you know local rival, um, St. Bonaventure, only about an hour, hour and a half from Buffalo. So I really like that matchup. Uh, that's one that I, I, I plan to try and catch a little bit of on Saturday, mix it in to, to break up all the football action. Let's, uh, Vansy, let's take a look at the, uh, the women's side of things here. Um, similar to the men, a really nice week from uh, the, the women in MAC basketball this week. We got some nice wins, uh, a couple close calls, almost upsets. Uh, taking a look at the standings here, Kent State right on top at five and one, Buffalo and Western Michigan right behind them at four and two. 
Uh, what do you think? Of, what, what did you? What uh, stood out to you on the on the women's side of things this week, Vanzi? Yeah, Kent State. I mean, you know, they yeah, you know, they they beat your beloved Penn State, uh, yeah. and then they uh, you know upset uh, UCLA, the number nineteenth ranked team in the nation, I believe it was uh, the UCLA Bruins. So you know, that's down. You know, that's a tremendous victory for them. Uh, actually two tremendous victories. So they, you know, to me, I think, you know, you gotta be pleased with them, kind of look at them as maybe this, this team of the Mac right now, but Buffalo's going to be there. They're going to be in that picture. They beat uh, Syracuse, you know, kind of an in-state rivalry. there. always good to see a little bit disappointing that it went in New York. That game was played down in the Bahamas. Yeah. Um, would have been, would have been cool to see that, uh, you know, in, in the carrier dome or, or on campus in Buffalo, but Buffalo and Kent state with some great weeks. Uh, you mentioned Western in the standings. I, you know, you look at the roster historically, it hasn't been a great women's program. I'm not sure if I'm buying into them yet. I'd have to see it against, you know, higher level of competition and, and over a longer course of the season, you know, kind of like central Michigan. I'm not believing that they're, you know, not one of the top teams in conference right now. Um, you know, but uh, it remains to be seen again, you know, scheduling very early on all this, you know, it's hard to really pick some out of the pack in the Mac. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It feels like it's very condensed at the top. I really like what I'm seeing from uh, from Kent State and, and from Buffalo both. I mean, Buffalo, Diasha Fair, one of the best. I mean, she was one of the best in the conference last year. She's back at it again this year. Over the course of this past week, averaging 30 points a game over the last week, shot 57% from the floor, 55% from three-point range uh, over, over the course of two games. Uh, that included against in that Syracuse game, you know, they always say best players step up in the biggest stages against Syracuse last week, 34 points, 11 for 15 from the field, seven three pointers in that game. She had that along to go with, uh, you know, four rebounds, five assists, uh, which uh, I mean, an unbelievable win for uh, for Buffalo playing again, a regional rival. I agree with you. It would have been awesome if that game could have been at the carrier dome or on campus there in Buffalo. But I really like what I'm seeing from the Bulls, the Bulls. And then I, I, I agree with you. I was going to mention Kent State. What a week for them. I mean, oh, they, you know, you have the win versus UCLA, win versus Penn State sandwiched around a loss to UMass. But that loss to UMass, their only loss of the season so far. And I really like what I'm seeing from the Golden Flashes. They are currently third in the MAC in scoring, fourth in defense. They seem to be uh, right there at the top in, in the thick of things. So, yeah, I like what I'm seeing from, uh, from uh, the, the MAC right now. A couple other, you know, close losses. You had Ball State take on Texas Tech. They lose that game by four. Central Michigan goes down to Cincinnati to take on the Bearcats. They lose that game 59 to 54. So I, you know, I, I look at the top of the standings here, Vanzi. I agree with you. I, I think I need to see more from Western Michigan and from Ball State as well before I'm ready to kind of uh, consider them real contenders. But I look at Kent State. I look at Buffalo. You know, you look at Ohio with uh, Erica Johnson and, and, and CeCe Hooks. And then, um, you know, B Bowling Green struggling a little bit right now after last year's uh, kind of surprising season. They're down in last place. They've lost four in a row, currently sitting at at uh, at one and four. Uh, what do you think? I don't know. What, what else do you think here, Vanzi? I mean, I, I like I said, I feel like it's still to me, I, I think Kent State, uh, Ohio, Buffalo still feel like the three best teams to me here in the women's side of things. Obviously, it's still very early. Would you uh, would you? disagree with that or any other teams you'd throw in that top three right now? Well, one thing I want to do, I, I wanted to mention was you look at Buffalo 
And yeah, they beat Syracuse. They also lost to perennial powers, Oklahoma and South Carolina, which may yeah. be outside of Tennessee and, and UConn, one of the great programs, uh, Don Staley down there at South Carolina. So don't write them off, you know, because of the record right now. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Eastern Michigan, uh, they actually, uh, they played um, the Delaware Blue Hens, which is a great name, the Blue Hens. Um, <laughs> and they had a, a crazy stat line against them. Jasmine Dickey of Delaware went for 48 points. Yeah, you know, wow. and, and that's, that's crazy in the men's game. And to see yeah. that in the women's game. Uh, it was only a 87-72 victory for Delaware. You would have thought it to be more. It made the Sports Center top 10. Um, but that was kind of, you know, somewhat of a low light. Um, but when somebody goes off like that, you almost have to consider it a highlight, uh, even out of conference. Yeah, no doubt. That is, I, I missed that. I, you know, I look at all the box scores. I don't know how I didn't see that. So they, Delaware scored 87 points in that game, and she had 48 of them. Man, that is, that is. That is quite a performance. Yeah, absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, what are you looking at this week, Vansy? Any women's games that you have circled on the calendar? There's some interesting matchups this week. I know your your Eastern Michigan Eagles are traveling out to Norman to take on the aforementioned Oklahoma on Tuesday. I feel like that'll be a nice little test for the Eagles. Yeah, and uh, Fred Castro, the the um, the head coach there at EMU uh, for the women's team, he's got some rich ties there. Um, I believe he was, I believe that's where he was a student. I might be wrong on that. I know he spent time on his staff and then there's, there's some ties there. So I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not surprised to see that game on the schedule. I think that was something uh, that, you know, those relationships brought it about. Um, I'm pretty high on that Eastern team, you know, and I'm, they, the COVID year, they were in the Mac tournament. They won their first game. It looked like they were going to really do something in Cleveland got wiped out last year, kind of a start and stop year um, outside of coach Cray. And I think, you know, coach Castro is probably the best coach in, in the EMU family right now. Doesn't get enough credit. Um, you know, they got Daniel Rainey, uh, Tia, uh, treasure Thompson, you know, they got some really uh, great players there. So I would expect Eastern Michigan to kind of rise up. Um, Oklahoma is going to be tough, but if you can pull off that upset, it would, it would really be kind of a, program uh changers you know for the first time in several years yeah no doubt and uh you look at their schedule they got another opportunity here in a couple weeks they travel to ann arbor to take on michigan on the 22nd that'll be another uh high profile opportunity for the eagles there i'm looking at uh i'm looking at ball state vansy i i like that they got the pit panthers coming to worthen arena in muncie this week not very often that you're going to get a you know a uh a a power six team, I guess, power six, is, I guess the term in, in college basketball traveling to a Mac arena. Uh, but as you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it seems like that is something that's a little more common on the women's side of things, which is really cool. I kind of, uh, I, I appreciate that about the women's game. So you got uh, ball state hosting pit on, uh, on Saturday at one o'clock there in Muncie pit currently six and two coming off a win against Rutgers. They also have wins over uh, Nor uh, Northwestern and Texas A&M. So going to be a tall task, for, uh, for the Cardinals, who they haven't looked bad. They're coming off a win over St. Joe's. Like I mentioned, they had that close call against Texas Tech last week as well, hung with the Red Raiders before falling 71 to 67. So as always, certainly, there, you know, there's always opportunities in the non-conference schedule for these MAC teams to rise up and get a, get a signature victory. Uh, a couple of those opportunities exist this week on the women's side of things. Uh, Vansy, anything basketball-related? Any final thoughts before we get out of here? 
Oh, no, I did. I just think, you know, like kind of getting into the season, I was a little hesitant about what this season would bring the Mac. And I think on both sides of, of the, the sport, you're seeing it kind of playing up to kind of the best case scenario, which I think you have to be pleased with, um, you know, starting to get a little bit clearer picture. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have another week like that. It was just wall to wall Mac basketball every day. There was good games going on. Um, but, you know, we'll see this week's off to a good start with that Cincinnati Miami result. No doubt. Before we get out of here, Vanzi, uh, I know we're here talking about basketball, but I got to get your prediction for uh, the Mac championship game on Saturday on the gridiron there at Ford field. Uh, Steve and I, we, I, you know, Steve was, Steve felt pretty good about picking Kent state. I was kind of on the fence, but I do lean the Kent state way as well. How do you see this one playing out on Saturday? Well, well, Steve's been on the Kent state train, you know, for the last two or three years. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I just got this feeling Northern Illinois. I just think it's a team of destiny. I just feel like they've had so many close games. They, you know, nobody thought anything of them this year. The former Spartan Rocky Lombardi, you know, I mean, I, I just, I think they're a team of destiny. Um, I think uh, Kent State has one too many turnovers in this game. And, uh, and, and real quick, I, boy, oh boy, I really, I, I felt like the Mac all conference football teams. I think they, they were out the lunch a little bit on some of those. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, Jake Julian and, and Chad Ryland, a great specialist for BMU. I don't know how they weren't first team. I, I won't go on a tangent, but you know, I, I, I may not watch the Mac championship football game out of protest. No, I, I hear you. And, and, uh, Steve and I were talking about that. Uh, we're going to cover that on next week's show, but I, I, I tend to agree with you. There's some interesting, uh, some interesting exclusions on that list, some interesting omissions. Anyway, for the, uh, that'll wrap it up for, for us here, folks. Uh, appreciate you tuning in, as always, for Steve Helwick, for Zach Vinwenzi, and myself signing off. This has been episode 73 of the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Enjoy the MAC championship game on Saturday. Got a lot of good hoops to watch as well. Take it all in, and we will see you back here next week.